Um, right now we're doing a series that we're calling Belong, and, and the idea is that as we're doing it, what we want to do is um, kind of seek out socially what it means to belong in any kind of context, but then talk about what that is and how that might be different or the same here inside of the church and then specifically our church. And what we've learned is that there is a mutual responsibility when people belong together. There is a responsibility, um, for instance, for the leadership here on your behalf to lead, watch over the congregation. There's a responsibility on behalf of the congregation to come and contribute to that community as well. And as we look at this kind of relational, social, maybe even unspoken contract that we have together, it is to be for each other. It is meant to cause us to want to move in a way that, that, that binds us together so that we feel a sense of belonging. In this series, we're teaching on these disciplines that we've identified that help bind us together as a church. And so, um, and other churches use this, but we gather together on a regular basis. So we talked about that last week. Today, we're going to talk about growing together. Then we're going to talk about what it means to give together and what it means to go together. So gather, grow, give, go. And so as we particularly focus on what it means to grow, we want to think about what does it mean to grow in our faith? What does it mean to um, move towards maturity together? What does it mean to prepare and equip ourselves for the work of ministry and all of this being together, right? Nothing binds us together or creates a sense of cohesion, I believe, more so than when we grow together. And so I'm going to give a kind of some ideas. As Pastor Ken spoke last week, what he did was really try to focus us on this Sunday morning moment, on the gathering of believers together. There's lots of churches in, in our time zone at least, right, doing this right now and in other time zones and throughout the world that gather together at least once a week um, in, the, uh, in what many people will call the church, although that term technically means the people. And so Sunday morning isn't really church and neither is this building. We who gather here, this is only a church because we are present in this place. But a lot of people, um, uh, and, and I do want to say, if you didn't get a chance to, to check out that sermon, Pastor Ken did such an amazing job. Please go back and check that out online. We have, um, you know, the video and the audio available. Um, if you just want to do Spotify or one of the podcast um, uh, iTunes, you can catch it there pretty easily. But please go back because they, they kind of work in tandem together, what we're talking about today and what he talked about last week. Um, many of us think of, though, only as church being this gathering. This is the only expression that even enters our imagination when we think of, hey, I'm going to go to church, or where is the church? We think of this building, we think of this time on Sunday morning, but we don't consider what it means to break down into smaller groups often. Now, any time that you see a team or a group, and, I, and I'm talking about, it could be a sports team, it could be a, a co-working team, it could be um, a, a group of people who are put together through like some sort of military group that's, put, uh, that, that's bound together, even just a, a group of friends, what you have is any group of 10 to even 30, I'll say I'll kind of give a, a little bit of a wiggle room there, where they are involved in each other's lives, but also working towards a goal. The size of the group, as opposed to kind of what happens here, creates a forced interaction where you have to be known and know other people, right? That's what, that's what it benefits us to break down into smaller groups. There's a sense of ownership where you can't say, well, I, I'm, I'm out of that. We talked a few weeks ago about that emergency effect that happens whenever there is an emergency on the street. The more people that are around, the less likely an individual is to get involved because they think, well, someone else will help, Right? And so it's easy to just kind of socially, not intentionally and not in a, in a mean way, but just pass the buck whenever we're in a larger group setting. And then you have this idea of not just the size, but the common goal that binds us, brings us into a place together towards a unified purpose. It creates cohesion effect that binds us together as well. So I've led in lots of 
um, overseas trips, maybe as a mission trip, something like a short-term um, thing into cultures that were not my own. Now, um, or, or, or co-led some of those things. And so I want to give just a quick example of that idea of what I'm talking about through that. There's always, anytime you go overseas, there's, well, I shouldn't say always, but usually there's this time of, um, let's get together and do some training beforehand. And the idea is that we want to do some team building. We want to make sure that the group grows together somehow. And your hope is to have a, a bit of a controlled environment before they get to wherever it is that they're going. You want to build the, uh, uh, the group's ability to trust one another. You want to build their endurance, sometimes even physical, if it's a place that, well, I was at the foothills of the Himalayas on one trip, uh, and you actually had to go on some hikes uh, just to get a feel for that before you could go out together. There's physical, emotional, definitely spiritual um, exercises that you want to do together. You want to give them tools so that they can navigate the culture, so that, so that they can understand that they're going to be in situations that they don't understand, either because of a language barrier or just culturally, they don't understand what's happening. And sometimes those things can become intense and you don't even know why, all right? There's lots of discomfort often if you're in a place that's not similar to where your, um, you know, your background is. You want to teach them to be calm in some given situations where things might, uh, you know, where they may, may have some uh, uh, misunderstanding or tensions get high. It, here's my point. Nothing fully prepares you for the real thing, but you do your best, you try to create all of these situations, and eventually that all gets put to the test, right? So I want to tell you about this time I was in the middle of, the, it was the center of, of Turkey, a tiny little city, and we're walking around praying for people. We don't have anywhere to stay. I've talked about that story before, um, and someone just out of nowhere offered us to stay in their, uh, in, in their apartment. So they housed eight or so people in this group. Another time, we were out talking to people, um, specifically the babas, which is a word for father. So all the fathers come out for tea in the center, town center, and they kind of talk about their day and then what business is going to happen the next day. So there's about 40 or so people at these cafes spread throughout this little area. And I'm having a conversation with someone. There's another team member who's with me. is actually the co-leader. And then another team member who I've gotten to know, a couple of people at a cafe kind of to my left. But we're all within earshot of each other. And what happens is I ask this guy, if I could pray for him. There's three or four young men. I'm asking him if I could pray for them. And all of a sudden, um, I, I pray. I say, hey, do you want to say amen? We say amen. I look up, and it's kind of like they're, they're, the way in which they pray is kind of like this. And you put your hands down. I look up, and there's a very angry gentleman standing outside of this cafe staring at me. And I'm like, uh, what happened? He looks to the guy who I'm praying with. They start talking. Talking turns into like fast talking, then turns into a mild shouting, and they're arguing back and forth, and I have no clue what's happening because they're speaking Turkish. In the midst of that, he looks at me, the guy I pray with, he says, what did you just pray over me? I'm like, oh, uh, just like general blessing. I asked for if there's anything that God wanted to open your eyes to, that you would be open to that, that that would be open. And then I prayed for a blessing um, and that, that God would have favor on you. Um, over these years. And he's kind of like relieved. <sighs> then they start talking. This guy's relieved, kind of calms down. In the midst of that, nobody's business is private in a culture like this. So there was like 40 or so people in a mob waiting to see how this ended. This could end very badly for me, right? And I'm very aware of it. And before the tension got diffused, I'm looking at my friend who's cool as a cucumber. He's good. He's kind of looking at me, he's paying attention, he's giving me the eyes like, I know what's going on. Then there's this other guy who I've trained with, his name's Doug. <laughs> Doug is on the brink of a mild panic attack meltdown. And the whole time his tensions are running high, I'm looking over at Doug and I'm like, 
calm down, dude. Take it easy. Like, this is all directed at me. Just calm down, man. And I can see him literally sweat beads coming down his forehead. And all I'm thinking is, yeah, I don't know how Doug handles situations like this. Now, I know how my friend handles situations. I know even the people over here because they're actually interns at the church that I came from. I brought them. Doug's new to me. Doug is about to freak out. And if he does, he's probably going to make things way, way worse than what's happening now. Everything calms down. I realize there is a prayer in the Muslim faith called Shahada. Uh, roughly translated that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is my prophet. It is a kind of conversion. That's not all there is to it, but it's kind of like the first step of saying like a prayer of conversion. They thought I was tricking this guy into saying a Christian conversion prayer. And so he's freaking out. They're like, this dude is publicly converting you in front of 40 other men inside of this village, and they were not going to let it happen. And so that's what the argument was about, to which my friend looks at me, the guy I've been talking to, and he says, can I pray over you? I said, yeah, of course. I mean, one for one, right? I prayed for you, you pray for me. And then he starts to pray, he's like, will you repeat after me? And I get to the first line and realize, I look up and I'm like, shahada. And he looks at me like, oh, you know, he was going to counter get me, he was going to have me converted in front of all these people after the tension said, I mean, he kind of did like a, ah, oh, he knows, man. Okay. I'm a, you, you get it. You know what I'm about to do. And instead of a fight and a tension and Doug kept this cool, we ended up hanging out and having good conversations about spiritual things um, for the next few hours. Now, he, he, he kind of, this is my point to, um, as I'm talking about community to, today, <clears throat> I don't know what kind of a person you are. You might be a Doug in a situation like that. Or you might be like my friend Adam, cool. Or you might be the intern and his wife were with me um, down the way and they kind of came out and paid attention. But I also know how they handle some situations. Why do I know how they handle situations? Because I'm in community with those people. And so there's a way in which I don't know all of the things about you. And if my only encounter with you was this one Sunday morning experience, I don't know how you handle intense moments. I don't honestly know how you engage with God at all, if you engage with God at all. I have no clue because in a context like this, there's only so much that can happen. And so in some ways, what I want us to see after today is that it's possible that Sunday morning is more of our preparation for when we live out our walk with Christ in the wild the rest of this week. Now, don't hear what I said is this is not important. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. The gathering is important. The gathering is uniquely important to a few things. There is momentum that happens in this room right now when you get to see, uh, you know, 90 or so other people in this room and you realize I'm not alone in this. There's other people fighting this out. There's other people doing the good fight of faith, trying to work this out. And you can kind of look around, lift our voices together, understand that this thing is bigger than just me or my family or even my, you know, house church or ministry or, or small group of people. We also get to be unified by a teaching right now, and then I'm going to send you all out and commission you out to operate under that teaching over the next few days. And that unified effort is bigger when 100 people go out there than it is if there's just one being sent out, right? It's a larger force. There's a missional and service kind of opportunity for us here where we can do things bigger together than we can 
on our own. And so you or your house church might adopt a family or a school and do something, and you can actually do a lot of good, and you know more than I do in those contexts. But there's something that's like, hey, we're all going to pool our funds together and donate it to this thing that's going on. And we will do a larger donation in that. So there's like a unified effort that we can collect together that we can't have in our smaller groups. And then I think this is one that we've been talking about more recently. Those are ones that we've talked about before, but this is new. The more people we have in this room, the more diverse hopefully it becomes, right? And so you have a broader interaction than if you were to just meet with people who live in your neighborhood. And so the hope here is that there's a diversity that happens in our efforts of gathering that can't happen in that smaller group setting. Those are all the great things about gathering. Now I'm going to tell you about some of the... The, uh, maybe some negatives and some reasons why you might want to consider getting into a smaller group. There's, there's obvious, undeniable pros to the context that you're all in. I'm speaking to the choir quite literally because you're here. You care, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. But outside of this context, there's also some cons to being inside of this context, Things that can't happen, bonding that can't happen, mission that can't happen, community that can't happen, devotion that has to happen in a smaller group context. I want to give you a couple of examples of some of the things that can get in our way here in this gathering. You can essentially come and go in this larger gathering and not open up to anything about anything real that's going on in your life, right? And some of us do. I'm an introvert. I would probably be one of those people, all right? And the larger this group gets, frankly... The larger this group gets, it's easier to get lost or even to hide and not be known by anyone, right? You might have a quick conversation here. The meet and greet gives you a chance to say hello to someone, but really knowing what's going in in their life, really being known by that person, which is where the crucible of life really gets worked out, where life-changing growth takes place in those conversations over maybe coffee or an hour-long hangout at a fire pit, two hours, three hours, where you exhaust though the weather's nice today where you exhaust and get over all of the small little things that we tend to talk about. I was working good anything yeah, no it's the same old same old right and you get to the other side of that into the real stuff of your life that you actually need to be talking about you might come to our gathering here on Sunday learn something good that comes from God's word hopefully it edifies you it convicts you even but without anyone to process that with there's no accountability to actually doing anything that God convicted you of on the Sunday morning. You can come to a gathering like this and consume instead of using your gifts and contributing from your own life. Here, here's an example. Do you think Pastor Ken and I are the only ones with the gift of teaching in this church? Heck no. And so there's places like our men's and women's house churches where people get to use those gifts in a smaller context sometimes. And sometimes up here it doesn't, it's, it's not like it's, it's limited, but there's a sense where there is lots of people with the gift of teaching, shepherding. Uh, uh, the, go through the, the five, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teaching, right? Every one of us has one of those gifts in this room or maybe more, more than just one. And so we have this controlled environment. Most of you are probably here because you're Christian. Most of you will say Christian things in here. I can't tell you how many times I hear someone, you know, drop a cuss word out there, but then come in here and say it and then be like, sorry, God. Like, like something changed. The, the earth is God's canopy, right? So, so we need to know each other on a deeper level. We have to have a better sense of ownership of the community of what's going on. We need to do the work in front of each other, out in the wild together, so I know what you're made of and what you're willing to go through and get towards. And all of these things serve the purpose of helping us galvanize a sense of belonging together in ways that just can't happen here. And so until then, it's reasonable for us to maybe think, like, do I know you? I don't know if I know you. We gotta spend some seasons together. 
Can you actually perform under pressure? Are you going to dug it out in a situation like that? Or are you going to be Adam and know how to operate when things go like that? So this is what we see inside of the early church. We read this last week, and I'm just going to do a quick jumping off point, and we'll uh, move on to a, a portion of 1 Peter. But um, it says this in Acts 2, that the rhythm of the early church was that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's a larger context, right? And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That's a smaller group context. It says it again in Acts 5. Even after having been persecuted, they quickly reorganized themselves back into the rhythm. It says this, Acts 5, 41 and 43, through 43. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So we see that they are connected, that they're teaching in these different environments, the large group setting and the smaller group setting, proclaiming the good news inside of those different settings. And they have in all of these contexts, in all of these areas, devotion and community and mission. Neither is sacrificed. None, none of those three are sacrificed in both of the contexts, the large or the small. Now, there's a few, uh, a variety of group contexts that you see in Jesus' life as well. Because if you didn't realize it, Jesus gathered the thousands, y'all. Like he had crowds of people around him. Thousands and thousands of people. But inside of that thousand, what do we have? There's 120 people following him. Inside of that 120, there's 12 disciples who are very close to him and even inside of that there is the three you have John and James and Peter that are his closest disciples inside of that do you see the exchange the larger the group is the less he can know them but the smaller that group gets there's a different dynamic of discipleship that takes place and so we have to recognize we don't just see it in the early church we see it actually in the life of Jesus there are some things that can happen better in the large group then they can happen in the small, and some things that happen better in the small than happen in the large. So here's where I want us to land um, and use this metaphor that Peter will use. So if you have your Bibles with me, uh, with you right now, go to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, we'll have the, the, um, the text up on the screen, but 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10 says this. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders reject has become a cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So there's a decision being made there. We'll come back to that. But, and, and close in on this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you, uh, sorry, that you may declare his praises, the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
So I want to break this down just a little bit because I want you to see what uh, kind of identity was handed to us in the midst of that. Jesus is the cornerstone, right? Let's just, let's just see, see the metaphor for what it is. Jesus is the cornerstone, which is the first stone that gets laid down, um, and, and it sets the direction for the measurements uh, by which the building will, uh, will be done. And so you put this stone in the corner, and then the whole wall lines up with that edge. And then this whole wall lines up with that edge. And so there's this measuring device that takes place. Everything gets measured according to the placement and the angle of this cornerstone. And in this, he uses the metaphor to say that there are some people who will see this stone on the ground and see it for what it is and decide, I'm going to measure my life against that. And there are some who will quite literally stumble, trip over this because they don't want to have anything to do with it. So you can reject the stone um, or you can accept it and begin building your life, accepting the guidance of the cornerstone. That is the precepts, the teachings of Jesus. Let's assume... For the sake of today, that you are all deciding to um, put your life and guidance in the cornerstone who is Jesus Christ. Now, you might be here seeking, uh, and I'd love to talk to you after service if you are, um, and we could talk about any questions that you might have. But but I'm going to assume for the rest of this that maybe you have made a decision to accept the cornerstone and you're not in that other part that has rejected it. When you live according to the life of Christ, you are then being stacked in accordance, brick by brick, according to his guidance, this new thing that they call the house of God. Now here's how God describes these stones, and here's an identity that I want you to hear. You are living stones. You are holy and a royal priesthood. You are a chosen people, a holy nation, God's special possession. That is the church of God, right? That you may do what? Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So here's the first thing I want you to see based off of the text today. You need to know that this is your identity, this is who you are. You are not something else, and some might see that stone as a, something to be stumbled over, but you were meant to build into something that was greater than just you as an individual. Your behavior, your beliefs begin to be guided and changed by the measurements of this cornerstone as you read the scripture and learn more and more about Jesus' life and the faith of God's people. He, he molds you. He forms you. He picks you up and begins to agitate you sometimes. He's going to move you and stack you, and it's not always going to feel great because it's changing you over time. But then what happens when you as an individual get to hang out with other people who are being molded and formed and changed and rubbed into a building block? Well, you're going to notice that they got some things you don't. Maybe I I got some holes in my ideas about God in my life. Maybe I should, uh, there's some friction here between these stones. And so when these people start to get around each other in community, you start to realize there's some things that I can learn from you. There's some things that you can learn from me. In fact, you have gifts that are different than me. I have gifts that are different from you. Proverbs 27 says it like this, that iron sharpens iron. And so you are all in different places, different seasons, come from different backgrounds, have different perspectives that benefit us as a group. And so what I want you to see is that your lesson in faith, your lesson in perseverance, your maturity can benefit me. 
my lessons in faith, the places where I have matured, the perspective that I bring to this has the opportunity to benefit you if we come together. Not if we don't. But when we do, we begin to grow together. I learn about you and in so doing, my faith is encouraged. I hang out with you and I realize, man, you're really great at Bible memorization. It's never even crossed my mind to try that. Maybe I should try it. I'm going to come around you and realize, man, I was really afraid to make that move or to talk to that person about Jesus. And you even hesitate. You've got an evangelism gift, and I need that to change who I am so I become more evangelistic. And let me show you some things that I've learned along the way. And so we let that iron sharpen iron, but only happens in proximity together. The second thing is that you're made into a priesthood, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Every one of you has a story and a testimony to tell. Every one of you has a point where you are brought from darkness into light. And as we share those things together, we realize that we are not just a people lacking a purpose, but as he said, a priesthood with a directive to make Jesus' name known. All right? So our group has a focus. It's more exciting than football. Although you're going to get excited for football today. If you're into that. It's more exciting than, I don't know, I was with some people and they were broke out singing Hamilton together. I, I like Hamilton. But coming together for the purpose of Jesus is a bigger deal. Our soccer team with our kids, the younger ones, they, they line up the parents and they get excited and they do the fingers and the kids run through the tunnel and they're really excited and that's fun and it's exciting. That is a collective thing that we have come together around to watch our kids play soccer and we start to team up against these people and then hear the people cheering against them and we're like kind of against those guys, right? And we have a unified collective. There's an identity we created together on behalf of our kids' teams. But Jesus is a better focus. It's a better team mission. And so what I want you to see, we are not a people lacking purpose, though we will find purposes and get very passionate about them, though many are fleeting in our time. But we are a priesthood with a mission. The third thing is this, that the stones of the building, when you go and look around, if you go on the outside, we have a brick building, those stones don't move. If they did, we would have a huge problem on our hands, right? The ceiling would collapse. We wouldn't make it out of this building if the stones moved. And so normal stones move, but he called us not normal stones, but what? Living stones. We are stones that are live, have heartbeats and blood coursing through our veins. We don't stay stationary because the living things that stay stationary die eventually or are discovered to be dead. And so what we want to see here is that there is dynamic stones, every one of you in this room, built and equipped to build into something that is meant to cause you to revolve around some kind of devotion, some kind of community, and some kind of mission with God, but with each other as well, and interacting in and out of this world, right? Not just in this building on Sunday mornings, but out there in your world, in your schools, sitting there cheering for your kids if they have soccer games to go to, in your jobs, while you're running errands, as you're hanging out in church, in your neighborhoods, online now, right? Anything that you do, 
you are that living stone in all of these places. And so what we see inside of this text is that there is a disciplined rhythm that God gives his people. We learn it in the first century church. We learn it in Jesus. And so what we want to do is to cultivate a culture here at Common Ground Northeast where, yes, come and benefit from the gathering, but then be sent out and scattered about to do other things. Go out into this world because God needs you to have both of these things. Otherwise, it's like we're just tumbling around purposeless without any kind of, of ability to navigate this chaos of life, right? And I'm going to use this quote that I thought was um, interesting. If you've heard of this pastor, his name is Louis Giglio. Um, I know some people love him, some people don't. Uh, but here is something I thought was very pertinent to our idea. As we gather together and go out scattered, and gather together and go out scattered. He said this, scattering means living like you're an actor in God's story, not an extra in somebody else's drama. It feels like we're a sock in a dryer going around and around in somebody else's chaos. We're just tumbling through the week like an extra in somebody else's drama. And when we were sent into the week, uh, but we were sent into the week as a kingdom agents of the almighty God. You are sent into the week to be actors in a story that is God's story. God has, listen to, to this, God has a purpose for you this week. Before you lay your head down on the pillow today, I'm already interrupting Louis Giglio because I'm getting excited. God has a purpose for you this week. He's got assignments for you this week. You are sent every day here to be scattered. You are not random in the wind of circumstance. You are not a sock in a dryer. You are a son of the almighty God. You're a daughter of the king. And it is coming together and the going out that makes the church church. All right, end quote. And so we come together to gather on Sunday in order that we would, in preparation for, to equip us for the scattering that takes place six days of the week through the rest of our days. That's what we're here to do. Come and feel the benefit of the contributions that you make to this time, the, the moments that you get to hang out with each other, the momentum that you get to gain by gathering this many people together. Be commissioned with a unified teaching like we do every Sunday. Participate in any collective missional or service opportunities that we might have and engage with the broader diversity that can maybe happen here more so than it can happen in a smaller neighborhood context. But believe that there is more than what we can do just in this one or two hours on Sunday morning. Believe that there is more that can be offered to your communal existence in the midst of a church than what can happen on a Sunday morning for two hours each week. And here is my commercial. I had to do one at least. Today is all about us compelling you to get involved in some kind of smaller community. If you just come here, what we want you to do is to get involved in a house church. Join the discipleship track. Get involved in the community. Go to the men's ministry stuff that's happening. There's one, uh, uh, an event happening this Sunday. Get, go to the women's ministry. There's Bible studies happening, and that group is just moving alive. There's a couple stuff that's happening, I think, in our prayer ministry. This is, these are the kinds of things that we want you to get involved with because in those ways, you are able to engage with each other on a different way. 
You have devotion differently. You have mission. You get to see what each other's made of. If you're a Doug or an Adam, when the tension gets turned up, whether you're able to minister in season, out of season, you can't just hide in these contexts. So being in a smaller environment offers things that this large group thing doesn't. It helps you dig into a faith and apply it in a way that you just can't if you're not rubbing shoulders with somebody of faith on a regular basis. So get involved in one of those things. If it, if it has community devotion and mission, it's going to begin to teach and train and equip you for things that you're going to need to know. It's not just about learning. It's about the relationships. It's not just about the growth. It's about the support offered by knowing people who love Jesus and love you too. Life is best experienced inside of a community with other people. You can share the celebrations where you can share concerns, questions, thoughts, where you can go and tell someone, I didn't like what Eric preached on Sunday. Okay, well... Tell me about it. Let's talk about it. And then don't send me the email. Just talk about it there. <laughs> Just kidding. You can send me an email. A place where you're known so well that your attempt to get along with the week and just say everything's fine. No, it's good. We're fine. We're fine. And someone's like, no, I know you well enough. You just saying that isn't very convincing. I can see it on your face. You're not fine. That's an indicator that you have gotten inside of a community that knows you so well. Like, I can tell something's wrong. The kind of community that says when you look around this room and you know if something goes down and I need help, I know blank, blank, and blank will be there. The kind of community that when you need prayer because you're trying to make a big decision, that you text them at a moment's notice and say, I know you're the type of person who prays without ceasing. You're the type of person who gets down on your knees because I know you do those things. Will you please intercede on my behalf about this situation? The kind of community that when there is a need abounding, that there is generosity from within that can help fund a solution. And that you are the kind of person, I know it because I've seen your generosity before, can you help us in this situation and they don't hesitate. The kind of situation that when you've been beat up by a world and you need some encouraging, these are the ones I can turn to that will lift up my head for the glory of Jesus. The kind of community that says when trials happen, persecution hits, I can count on you not to turn away, but to rejoice as we just read in Acts, knowing that God counted you worthy to suffer and then turn around and keep proclaiming the gospel anyways. But look at the other side. When you hurt so much for so long, that you need somebody to sing your praises for you because you got nothing left. And they're shoulder to shoulder with you singing those praises on your behalf. It's probably going to be the same person that when that rescue happens, will be standing next to you singing the praises that God full on did it. He came through. And so there's praise and community, in, sorry, community in the praise, community in the struggle, in the suffering. This is the kind of community that you have to happen. I just don't think it can happen in a one to two hour service. And so as we want to compel you to do these things, I'm telling you, you need both. Now I'm going to use a little kid's toy to make my final illustration. It seems appropriate, right? We had the kids leading us today, submitting to the next generation. And I hid it over here in one of these bags. Oh, sorry, I should have warned you about that. We've used this when I first came in. I brought this from our last church. It's a toy. It's always in my office. It's kind of a reminder, even an Ebenezer for myself. This geometric ball, and most of you know what it is, but as we think about this idea, something fresh happens when we come together and we gather up into a tight-knit group and we're all in one place. There's a lot of energy to that, and then on a weekly basis, we spread out. We cover more ground. 
If you were thinking that you were going to reach the earth by paying a pastor to reach all of your neighbors for you, you made a mistake. Because every week you get sent out next to your neighbor and look at all the ground we get to cover. And then when that gets exhausting and it's hard to do, we can come together and sing God's praises and know we're not alone and say, Jesus, fill me up. Set someone in my life to help build me and equip me for that conversation I'm going to have with whoever lives down the street because I don't know anything about that. But this person does and they're going to help build into my understanding and then we're going to send you out again. Now here's what I want you to see. It's almost like this respiratory system. This inhale, exhale that we come into with one another. And just as your life depends on the inhale and exhale of your lungs breathing and your cardiovascular system working, so does your spiritual life. Your community devotion and mission depends on this rhythm of going back and forth into the scattering mode and into your smaller communities and then coming together and understanding as you breathe, inhale, exhale, inhale, Exhale, inhale, exhale. You need both. And so I think today what I want to do is just point out that I believe God has some people in our midst right now that, that maybe it's a risk to know people that well. And that's holding you back. And now is your time to take that risk and say, I'm going to actually open up and let some people know who the real me is. I can pretend on Sunday morning, but I can't pretend every week over a certain amount of time when I'm hanging out with you, having real conversations. And I believe that somebody needs to take that risk and step into that. I think God is calling us to maybe rearrange schedules. That Probably the most, uh, the strongest barrier to your ability to get into community is your calendar. And so are you willing to make God the driving force of your calendar and allow things to revolve around it instead of allowing church world, church relationships, the gathering and the scattering to revolve around the other things you have going on in your life? I think God is calling some of us to stop spectating from the pews and to get into the game, to get down on the field and start getting dirty and realize like, oh, you're, you're a good quarterback. I had to do it. It's Sunday right? You're actually, you're great at doing this thing or that thing. In fact, during this week, I asked a couple of people to help us out with the discipleship and I got to sit in on them leading a conversation. I thought to myself, you should be teaching people how to do this because you are phenomenal at leading small group discussions. I don't know what you're made of. I don't know what kind of gifts you have. I don't know everything you have if I don't know you on that regular basis. And I don't mean that like you need to know me. You need to know each other like that. And the only way to do that in a real way is to break down into groups. So get involved. Start having ownership. Start being known by people. Start contributing in ways that maybe you haven't before. God is calling us to be this kind of community together. And if we do, we take those steps necessary to get there. If we make it a priority, I believe that a different way and a stronger sense of understanding what it even means, what the very definition of belonging is, can be cultivated inside of our community. So are you gonna, are you gonna do it and, 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 and belong? Belong to one another. Be accountable, belong to one another. And that's my prayer for us this morning. Would you pray with me? Yes, Lord. Uh, thank you that you have given the church a respiration system and a rhythm wherein we come together and break out in mission, wherein we come together and break out in times of our ability 
to know each other and be known. So, Father, if there is trauma and pain holding anyone in this room back from getting involved, or uh, maybe it was a church hurt in the past where they, where, they, where they got involved in some kind of smaller group and it didn't go well, that they were vulnerable and that was used against them, God, would you heal that pain and set them free from the bondage and from not having the ability to have Christian community? That's what the enemy wants. Father, where insulation has built up out of protective uh, 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 movements God would you break down the walls of insulation so that we can be vulnerable again Father would you help stack us like stones that the tension of iron sharpening iron would make us so much better than we thought or imagined we could be when we tried to live this faith on our own yes 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 Lord Help us to belong to one another. Take up the responsibility of belonging. Father, we lift this up in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.